0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit wholefoodsmarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network,
1: This is Sam Ben Ruby from the Grape Nation. We had an opportunity to go down to the Naples Winter Wine Festival and talk to a bunch of different winemakers. Tonight's show, we're going to talk to Piero Antonori from Marchese Antonori Wines. Welcome to the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network, your weekly wine journey. We are at the Naples Winter Wine Festival, benefiting the Naples Children and Education Foundation. Our guest is Marquis Piero Antonori, Vintner and Honorary President of Marchese Antonori. Marquis Piero Antonori is the patriarch of his family's wine business in Italy, with vineyards in Umbria, Chianti, Brunello, Bulgaria, Napa, and many other places around the world. Um, Piero, along with his daughters, oversee the six-century-old storied family wine business. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Piero. No, thank you. I'm very pleased to be here. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, on a side note, at the... Uh, naples wine festival there's a dinner every friday night usually in someone's home and they invite a vintner and they invite sommeliers and famous chefs and i had the good fortune to be with piero last night and break bread and drink through a lot of his wines Um, so that was exciting for me and i got to get to know you a little better all right so let's get started you stepped into the family business i think it was in the 60s and the the Everything began then, but I'm going to ask you to do something that may be hard for you, and that is to talk about your family history, which is easy. The hard part is it could take days, so I need you to tell our listeners, frame the Antonori family. Well, it's a long story as a matter
3: of fact, and we are very proud, obviously, of this long story, which has always been associated with wine, even if at the beginning my family... Uh, was in a different type of business. There were merchants, bankers, but at a certain point, and to be precise, in at the end of the 14th century, we have a document, official document, which proves that in 1385, the family started to be really serious about producing wines. And since then, generation after generation, and, uh, 20s you know, going uh,
1: into 26th?
3: Century after century... <laughs> It six arrived <laughs> until now and yes we have uh, a record of 20 now 27, 27 generation of the family that have been involved in the wine business
1: wow so the 27th generation is that your daughters
3: no it's actually my
1: my grandchildren who are starting. Oh, now. it's even beyond your daughter. Yes. All right. My uh,
3: daughter represents the 26th generation only.
1: The, okay, that's okay. <laughs> um, we were talking last night and you came across a little interesting piece of history about wine appellations. I know you're a student of history and of the family and wine. And you're always looking. So you can't tell me what you were telling me last night. You found out.
3: Yes, I found out something interesting for us because last year in 2017, uh, we celebrated 300 years since... The first appellation of origin was created for a wine. All
1: right, so tell Uh, my listeners what an appellation in wine is.
3: Appellation of wine is the official uh, recognition of a certain name which represents an area of production and some regulation of production. So it is very important. In Italy, we have the DOC or DOCG appellations, which is denominazione di origine controllata or controllata e garantita, which is the highest level of control. In France, we have appellation d'origine. Now, even in the new world, like, for instance, in California, they have some AVA, they call them, uh, which are, you know, specific uh, um, areas where certain specific wines can be produced and uh, has to be produced according to, to certain
1: regulations. To so protect the region, the winemaker, the integrity the, exactly, of the wine yes. when it gets out to the market.
3: So it's very important for the consumer to know if a wine is uh, belongs to an appellation or not. But, uh, you know, it's something quite recent that, that has been developed. So the fact that the first one was created in Tuscany, actually by a member of the Medici family, Cosimo III, who was the Grand Duke of uh, Tuscany at that time, but he appointed uh, an ancestor of my, Antonio Antinori, he was uh, his name, uh, to actually write the details of the appellation. So I have discovered that, which proves once again that my family has always been involved even uh, in an administrative uh, viewpoint. Right. Uh,
1: so, just a uh, curiosity. Did you discover like a handwritten document, or I mean, what did what did you literally come across? <laughs> I
3: discovered uh, the document which uh,
1: in which the
3: grand duke appoints uh, my my ancestor. Wow. Uh, with the responsibility of writing this uh, appellation. And we're very proud because everybody thinks that the first appellation of origin for wines has been created in France or in other countries. And instead, it was actually in Italy, in Tuscany.
1: That validates it. Do we know... how much later France started designating one? Well,
3: the, the, uh, the, 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 the most of the appellation in uh, France, including the Bordeaux one, uh, in the mid-19th century, 1850-something. So, so uh, a bit of a time after, yes, yeah, you got yes, a nice yes, head start yes, yes. there.
1: <laughs> well, that that must have been fun and interesting to come across, which goes to show there is always <laughs> things to discover, you know, certainly within the family. Well, it's, a, it's fun yeah.
3: sometimes, you know, to discover things where the family has been involved that you didn't know before.
1: So, I said earlier you stepped into the family business around the 1960s, and... I'll let you take it from there. But when you got into the business and you stated, you know, that the family has been in the wine business a long time, um, the quality of the wine in the region was terrible, you know, and I don't think that was your vision to be in the wine business and continue what was going on. So you made quick work with vision of turning that around walk me through that, because there were a lot of important stages. Yes, my father actually gave me the
3: full responsibility of the company in 1966. Um, I was already obviously involved in uh, the company, but uh, when I was only 28 years of age, my father decided that I was... uh, In his his opinion, (laughs) ready to... Did he ask you or tell you? (laughs) No, he just told (laughs) told me. I was a bit uh, shocked in a way. (laughs) But uh, I thought I was a bit too young. But uh, in any way, I took it, uh, obviously, with great enthusiasm, this responsibility. And the first thing that I found out uh, was that... uh, uh, the world uh, was already changing, you know, after the war. And, and the war consumed. had a big impact on the, oh, the area. Absolutely. absolutely. Literally
1: yes, on the farms, yes, the buildings,
3: yes, families. The building. yes. Everything was practically destroyed, and we had to start from right. scratch. Right.
1: And not everyone did.
3: And not everyone did, because it was hard work, uh, and uh, it it, it involved some risks, uh, like everything that you do. Um, But uh, my father was very courageous and uh, full of uh, entrepreneur spirit, and uh, so he started again to rebuild the company, and at a certain point, uh, he decided that uh, I should uh, continue his uh, uh, work. And um, and as, as a matter of fact, even the consumers, when I took over, were already starting to change. And uh, we felt, and I felt, that the consumers were starting to change their approach. And instead of uh, willing to buy wines in big quantities, but at low prices, they were starting to be prepared maybe to spend a little more, but provided they could get uh, higher quality wine. And I felt that in certain areas, especially of Tuscany, but also other parts of Italy, we had the potential to produce much better wines than in the past, uh, with the focus more on quality rather than quality. Um, on quality rather right. than quantity. It was quantity. Because for centuries, the, object, the, the priority was to try to produce quantity at low prices. But instead, we had certainly in special areas of uh, Tuscany or Hilly, and rocky areas where it was quite difficult to produce wine but the quality could be really a very high quality and we had also our own great varieties like Sangiovese which had a great potential and so I started actually to to concentrate my activity in trying to maximize the quality that uh,
1: uh, we so, what produce. the obvious steps with that is farming, you know, out first, in the field, first, grapes.
3: First of all, uh, farming in the sense of selecting the right clones of uh, right. the grape varieties. Number
1: two. Didn't somebody once send you Trebbiano instead of Sangiovese clones <laughs> once? It that's was, not what you it wanted. It
3: was the usual things of the nurseries at that time. It was so a you prominent. Had you had really to make sure uh, of what you, you were getting after.
1: And that's the last thing you wanted were Trebbiano vines. <laughs> that's funny. So it started with with. The, the clones, the grapes you pick planting, yes. how then you. Then,
3: obviously, the system of um, planting the vineyard, the density per acre, which at the beginning was uh, very low, and then uh, gradually we started to um, uh, increase the density. Now, for instance, uh, our um, standard way of planting is approximately 6,000
1: vines per hectare. Is, which that is low, medium, or high density compared? It's a high on, density. But the quality is there? The, the quality is
3: better because the production, the yield per vine is much lower ah, in the same uh, acreage, let's say. And, uh, and there is more competition between one vine and the other. And that uh, um, uh, control is something which is able to control the vigor. Right. We don't want too much vigor, which means too much production. Right. So we want to keep it you down, can control, control it. Right. So that was another thing that we started to do. Then, obviously, all the
1: part in the winery. but uh, well, Go back for a second, because at some point, the family-owned property that you were go- growing grapes, but you went through an acquisition period, right, where you saw good properties available, you yes. expanded, which became some of the greatest vineyards in the world yes
3: the fact uh, is that uh, in the past uh, we used to act uh, like uh, producers grape producers but also let's say negotiation we used to buy grapes from some of our neighbors and friends and uh, we had established uh, very long relationships and contact and sometimes of generations. And that was a bit our system, which I found at a certain point that it couldn't be the future of our company. And so I started to uh, follow totally another type of approach, which was actually to own our own vineyards, and now all the wine that you, we produce are all produced with grapes grown estate in our grown. Right. in our vineyard estate grown. Right. Which is uh, the only, in my opinion, the only way to ensure I the agree. high quality of the product. Because you are prepared I, I, maybe to reduce the yield per hectare, but uh, have a higher
1: quality. You approach... You approach it any way you want, seasonally, yes, weather, absolutely. yields. You know, you're not we holding. We to fully anymore. control our destiny, right? So, we're talking about Tuscany, and we're talking about the Chianti Classico region mostly, right? I mean, the present conversation we're having involved vineyards in that area, yes, yes. and and walk me through, but these vineyards had names or were named and became vineyards of wines you know that are very famous which yes. i think people look to Antonori for so put some names to the vineyards and times to it because you is it fair to say you were the first tuscan producer to really go outside of the box or the classification and not just make sangiovese great bait uh, yes. wines. Tell me about that.
3: This uh, is something which I did since the beginning because at that time the regulations for the appellation of origin, like Chianti or Chianti Classico, were mm, sort of old uh, fashion regulation which couldn't uh, allow a producer to produce a very high quality wine because there were regulation reflecting the old mentality of quantity rather than quality
1: and nobody really pushed back you realized i can't do what i want no within this
3: exactly and so i decided screw them Uh, to go away a little bit from uh, the official regulation and produce wines in the way that I felt we could reach the highest quality, uh, regardless of the regulations. The um, consequence of that was that at the beginning of the 1970s, when I started in this direction, I had to release some of our wines just with the name of the vineyard where the wine was produced, but forgetting about the official classification. You lost the classification by not abiding by the... As a matter of fact, the wines were classified just as table wines, which is the lowest official classification, but uh, very soon consumers realized that maybe the classification was the lowest, but the quality was the highest. And so that, uh, you know, created also curiosity. Didn't
1: you have, weren't you challenged with an image and a marketing problem? Because now you controlled what you wanted to do. You made the wine that you wanted. You had the quality, but how do you get the message out early on? That's not a problem today. What, what do you do? Early on, uh, we had to, <laughs> to
3: you know, um, go around the Walk world, to uh, restaurants uh, 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 and the restaurants, the restaurant, explain. And although at the very beginning, I must say, the um, the wines were considered very controversial, and uh, but very quickly, and I was amazed about that. Very quickly, uh, they created a lot of curiosity uh, worldwide, and not only, you know, with the opinion leaders in the United States or maybe in England, but even in Italy and in Tuscany, where people were used to the old you style of You won over your own people. And, and instead, in Florence and in Tuscany, a wine like Tignanello, for
1: instance, who was Tignanello is the name of the of the vineyard. The first the first wine we're talking about in the 70s, was it Tin and Yellow? Yes, okay. yes, absolutely. So the Actually, reference to what we're talking yes, about was yes, the Tin Yellow vineyard yes, yes, and yes. the
3: Tin Yellow yes. wine. The okay. first the first Tignanello ever released was a 1970 vintage, but the first uh, Vintage was actually uh, still a Chianti Classico as, as uh, an appellation right. with the vineyard designation, Vigneto Tignanello. But uh, then immediately the following year, in 1971, we created the Tignanello as a wine with no, with no classification no right. appellation of origin, just Tignanello and with the grape varieties which uh, were used for Tignanello, mainly Sangiovese to keep. Because the idea for Tignanello was really to produce a different wine from the tradition, a wine with a much more modern and elegant style, but uh, keeping the basic character of a Tuscan wine and that was given by the Sangiovese grape.
1: Now present vintages back are it's predominantly all Sangiovese, you blend a little in the Tignanello because the vineyard of Tignanello
3: has always been planted with 80% Cabernet Sauvignon, a little bit of Cabernet Franc, right. and 20% Sangiovese. So, oh, so we continue to use the... So it's 80% it's Cabernet. Yes. Now, no, w- sorry, excuse me. Right. No, no, no. no I, you got no, me confused.
1: No, no. no, 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 no. It's predominantly that, that is Sangiovese.
3: What, it's 80% Sangiovese. Right. That's why... It, we'll
1: uh, get to the one where it's predominantly okay, Cabernet. Okay, yes. So... <laughs> Listen, you, you had a vision, you executed it, you went out and the product was so good, everyone you know loved it. That same decade in the 70s, towards the end, you released another wine, Solaya, right? In yes. In 78? Yes. And same idea, right? You know, quality, same, you wanted to make the wine you wanted to make. But uh, tell me uh, about uh, that uh, wine. That was a different vineyard. Yes.
3: Um... Solaya is actually the other side of the coin of Tignanello in the sense that instead of being predominantly Sangiovese, it is predominantly Cabernet. Right. So we know a little bit of Cabernet. But fire. that in
1: itself was controversial that to be was, making heavily Cabernet, Cabernet. Controversial.
3: Some, right. Although, although. Uh, Already my father in the 1920s had planted some Cabernet in the Tignanello vineyard, in the same vineyard, with very good results. And so after the war, the vineyard was abandoned during the war, but uh, my father always um, recommended me not to forget that experience but maybe to continue it and, uh, and so that's why I decided also to plant San Cabernet and now I mean the blend the Sangiovese Cabernet it has become a classical blend.
1: Well it became such a classic it got its own name and we yes. call those super Tuscans right yes, yes, <laughs> which absolutely. is basically the Cabernet
3: the, the Cabernet, the um, vineyard-designated wines, the Super Tuscan are all coming from a specific right. uh, vineyard, like Tignanello, like Solaya, and others. Right. Uh, and uh, most of the time, even if the regulation has changed in the meantime uh, of Chianti, Chianti Classico, and other appellations, but most of the time, they continue to have a more generic appellation, the Super Tuscans.
1: Right. And, you know, we focused on those wines, because that really is the beginning of the story. But you make a lot of Chianti. <laughs> you are in Brunello. You are in Bulgari. You make probably one of the n- uh, most noble white wines in Italy, Trevaro, in the Umbria region, a little south. Um just tell me quickly about that vineyard. How did When did you start making wine there? That was an acquisition, right? You bought you, the property. You mean in, in Umbria. Umbria? In Umbria, yes. Uh, no, actually my, da Sala?
3: yes, my father uh, bought the estate in the 1920s because uh, uh, as you know, my family uh, started to produce wines and has continued to produce wines in the Chianti Classico region. Chianti Classico means red wines. And my father felt that uh, in the portfolio he needed also a white wine.
1: People were asking probably, and right?
3: People were asking for uh, a white wine. And at that time, the what was considered the best region for white wine in Italy was Umbria and especially Orvieto right. Appellation. Right. That was at that time the almost synonymous of white wine, Italian white wine, the Orvieto. So my father decided to buy in that area an estate. And since then, I mean, there have been obviously many, many changes. And uh, in the mid-80s, we started to experiment also with different grape varieties um, and different type of vinification and aging. And a wine like Cervaro della Sala that we had, that we tasted yesterday night, is the result of these type of experiments. Actually, what our idea was to try to do in the white wine field, what we had done before with Tignanello and and Solaya. Try to do something to make a wine which was not uh, really, the traditional wine of the area but with more complexity aging potential
1: some of the vintages vintages are almost burgundian
3: yes you ab- know in the mouth feel and the absolutely. taste that was a bit it's a chardonnay based wine it's predominantly. a chardonnay based wine with a small addition of a local grape variety called Grechetto, which actually gives um, certain natural acidity to the wine which is important especially for Chardonnay which tends to drop the right. acidity it in, makes it in, a
1: better food all, wine in too in warm
3: climate especially and uh, and gives uh, also i say a more special um, identity to the wine it's not just another Chardonnay there are so many right. in the world and so good right
1: um the, I guess it took years of blending and, and take you know, until you realized the Grichetto oh, uh, and how much, how little uh, made the wine, yes, you like know, like like, every uh, vintage varies, but uh, the blend is everything somewhere. Everything
3: takes time. In our type of business, you have to be very patient. Sometimes you wait 10 years, 15 years before you arrive to a final conclusion right. or... Right, and sometimes you you never arrive to something. It's
1: always a work in progress. <laughs> uh, quickly tell me, um, you have wine concerns around the world. You have a project in Napa, northern, you know, up north. Uh, is it Washington? Um, around the world, so Antica is your Napa red wine
3: yes um we are lucky very lucky i must say to have a beautiful vineyard in napa valley since a long time because we started to be involved in that vineyard although we were not the owners but we were involved with other partners in uh, we started in 1985 wow and so we have uh, been a part of the project of developing this uh, estate. Um, and then approximately seven or eight years ago, we have uh, got the full control of the estate. And Which we is important started, to you. Yes, we have started uh, renovation of, uh, of the estate with... Uh, you know, we have removed uh, gradually most of the vineyards and replant them uh, in a different way, in what we feel it's the best way to produce the top, top quality wines in Napa Valley. It's a very exciting project. I'm,
1: You're heading over there, right? I, I'm after heading you leave over Naples?
3: and uh, for me it's always very exciting to be there because yeah. I love the area. People are wonderful. And uh, so at my age now, I try also to go there and spend a little bit more time. Um, Maybe not uh, go as often as I used to do
1: before. As long as you show your face. (laughs) So, you know, the business is 600 years old. You've been making wines for a long time. But it seems like most of the expansion was under your guard. Is that fair to say?
3: I think it's fair to say uh, it's not my merit, but uh, it is it the, just circun- happened. the, c- yeah. the c- circumstances, because in my period, uh, especially not only the wine consumption has gone up uh, worldwide, if you consider that, for instance, United States, since a couple of years has become the largest cons- wine consuming country in the world and maybe only surpass France, years ago. right? Yes yeah. or Italy. Yeah. Not on a per, per head basis, but uh, totally. right. I mean, uh, this right. is a big problem, deal anyway. I, I think that uh, even 10 years ago, nobody would have predicted a uh, trend like that. But it's not only United States, but many other countries in, it's, it's uh, in happening the world everywhere. are starting to become uh, wine-consuming wine countries. So the, cons- the consumption is uh, going up, and at the same time, the quality, the reputation of Italian wine has gone up.
1: Uh, but you've been blessed uh, with a lot of great vintages.
3: Uh, so that's why I have been all always, you know, condemned to take advantage of this
1: situation. Not for and me. <laughs> um, we're talking to Piero Antonori from uh, Marchese Antonori. I'm going to let you go soon, but before I do, I want to talk about succession with you. You've been at this a long time, and it, this is a very nice story, and I want you to tell it a little. You have three daughters that are now actively involved in the business and that wasn't necessarily how you saw it when they were little girls so there's a couple of nice things to note it's a great thing to have your family in the business and I love the fact that women are running you know one of the most storied and famous wineries so tell me quickly you know what you and your daughters are doing and what they're doing.
3: Yes, you're right. When they were young, I was a bit concerned about the continuity, you know, of the family and the company, because at that time it was not normal that a uh, woman would uh, run a business. So now the situation, fortunately, has changed completely, and uh, at least in Italy, I think there are more women involved in the wine business than men. So it has really—it's good. There have been a revolution also in that sense, which uh, I ob- obviously welcome. Uh, yes, there are all three involved. Uh, one of them at the moment uh, uh, is living in New York, uh, and she looks after the US market. And the other two are based in Florence, and uh, they, uh, with different responsibility, they actually run the business. And they allow me to do only things that I enjoy doing. Play golf. <laughs> also, among I am other joking. Things,
1: <laughs> oh, you meant business stuff. Obviously, oh, okay. I, I
3: also enjoy being in, being involved in the in the in the business, especially the production part, the wine, the winemaking, the viticultural aspect, which I love. And I try to leave to them, you know, all the problems and the headaches.
1: That's where it gets fun for you. You don't have to <laughs> let them take care of it. I am not fully successful in this idea, but I try to do it. Do you still meddle and mingle more than you should because you can't help yourself? Or you are getting better at that? No, no. I, I'm getting better. Okay. You'll get it eventually. Um we should probably mention one other person and that's somebody that's been an important part of Antonori and that's Renzo Renzo Cotorella who is now the CEO working closely with you and your daughters mm-hmm. and he his background is as a winemaker. I think he's from the Umbria region, right? He's
3: from the Umbria region. He has worked with me uh, for over 40 years. It's now. a long partnership. So he's a bit uh, part uh, of the family in a way and uh, he's not just a, a manager, he's right. something. He's uh, part more of than that. what Antonori yes. is. Yes, and he's very close to the family, to me and to my daughters also. So he has also an important role of uh, transmission, you know, transferring, the, because he's a bit uh, even Um, for his age, in the middle between me and my daughters, and he has my full confidence, but also the full confidence of my daughters. So he has a very important role. That's important.
1: It's almost like the son you didn't have
3: either, too. He's a great uh, winemaker, and uh, he knows exactly how I feel about the style of the wines. And so... You're in good hands we discuss for hours and hours every day about the quality of the wines about the style about what we should do to improve the quality and uh, so it's a very very useful and pleasant type of relationship
1: it's a it's a good place to be with somebody that you've had for 40 years and your three daughters around you yes i mean the business sounds like it's in good hands and the wines are so terrific we don't want anyone screwing around with them (laughs) So that's great news. Uh, Pierre, I want to thank you for coming on to the Grape Nation. Um, Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. You're down here at the uh, Naples Winter Wine Festival, um, donating your time and your presence and wines and all of that. So thank you for that. And I hope to make my way over to Italy and see you on your home turf. (laughs) if I can get that together. So thank you again, and enjoy the rest of the festival.
3: Thank you, Sam. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank you.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter.